0: Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College online journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program.
1: Hello, and welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Jacqueline Witt, professor of strategy at the U.S. Army War College and the War Room podcast editor. Thanks for joining us today. I'm very pleased to have in the studio with me, Ambassador Jim Bullington. He's a career foreign service officer who retired from the state department in 1989. And then in his words, did some other jobs, including uh, as the Peace Corps director in Niger, and finally retired from that in 2006. He served as the ambassador to Burundi, in addition to a number of other postings. But today we're here to talk to him about what led him to Vietnam in an important moment in history. And now in 2018, we're looking at the 50th anniversary of 1968 and the events there. So with that introduction, I'm gonna ask the first, uh, first question. First, thanks for joining me today. And then second, the question is, what in the world were you doing in Vietnam in 1965?
0: Okay, well, thanks for uh, having me on your program, Jackie. It's good to be back at the War College after 40 years. Uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to be here in uh, '78, '79 right. for as a student. So everybody so can go look so for your good name, yes, name. it's good to be Yes, name on the plaque. It's right? on the plaque uh, outside uh, outside the entrance. But I was uh, uh, a new, young foreign service officer, very junior uh, foreign service officer in uh, 1965, and that was my first overseas assignment. Was to Vietnam. Uh, First uh, to the small U.S. consulate at Hue uh, in 1965, uh, July, about the same time as the uh, major combat units Mm -hmm. were arriving. Uh, In Hue, I I met a lot of people, of course, but most importantly, uh, my future wife. She was working at the consulate as a, a foreign service national locally engaged staff. And uh, she caught my eye right away, and we began a courtship, which uh, continued uh, on and off for the next uh, three years. While I was in Vietnam, we were uh, together in way working together, and in some exciting times uh, with uh, what was called the Buddhist struggle movement, uh, in which eventually uh, it was an anti-government movement, not uh, not communist, but uh, just uh, anti-government. And in uh, some of the demonstrations, uh, the U.S. consulate there was burned down, and uh, both uh, Twikam and I were transferred to uh, Saigon, the U.S. embassy, uh, for our next job. Uh, I was uh, staff aide to Ambassador Henry Cabot Lodge, and she was working in the economic section of the embassy there. Mm -hmm. We continued there for uh, about a year. and those assignments, and uh, I was supposed to go home uh, to the United States after that, but uh, I got to the United States, and it was cold, and I didn't like the job, and so...
1: And Vietnam is not usually cold.
0: Not at all, (laughs) Uh, and I I came to enjoy it, and I found I was missing TWICOM, too, so uh, having made lots of contacts in the mission as Staff Aid to Ambassador Lodge, I was able to get on the phone and, uh, arrange to have myself sent back to Vietnam, uh, uh, this time it was to work in the Joint Civil Military Counterinsurgency Program, the acronym for it is CORDS, uh, and I wanted to, uh, work in I-Corps, uh, the northernmost region of South Vietnam, because com had, uh, About the time I went back to Washington for uh, uh, three or four weeks before deciding to come back to Vietnam, she had been transferred to the new U.S. uh, Consulate General in Da Nang uh, that replaced uh, the the destroyed consulate in Hue. And she was working in Da Nang at the time. Uh, There were no openings with the cords in Da Nang, but uh, I managed to get a job in Quang Tri uh, with the cords, Quang Tri is the northernmost province of South Vietnam, right up on the North Vietnamese border. So that's where I was uh, stationed for the next year, but I managed to make lots of trips to uh, Da some Nang side, uh, side trips. Uh, uh, over the weekends and so forth. Uh, that's where the the Corps headquarters was, along with the military headquarters. And uh, our uh, courtship uh, prospered, and by the fall of uh, 1967, we were engaged to be married.
1: Congratulations, right? So this is, this is sounding like a really happy story, right? A love story in the midst of a war, someone who wants to go back to Vietnam, right? That's not maybe a, um, something that we hear all the time from, from Americans uh, who would have been there at the, at the time. So you're engaged to be married, and when do you, when do you set the date?
0: Well, we were going to get married in March of 68, which was when the end of my uh, cords tour was to to occur, and I was going back to Washington. And uh, we had uh, arranged to get together for Tet. Tet is uh, the, the... Oriental New Year, and it's very, very important for Vietnamese, all Vietnamese. It's a sort of combination of Thanksgiving and Christmas and the Fourth of July all rolled into one, and everybody who possibly can goes home uh, for, for Tet. And Twi Com was going home to, uh, to Hue, where her family lived, uh, for what was to be her last Tet before getting married and going off to the United States. And I arranged uh, on an Air America shuttle flight to come down from Quang Tri to Hue uh, to join her and the family for the Tet celebration. I arrived in uh, Hue on the afternoon of January 30th, 1968, not a propitious time to come to Hue. No, it
1: turns out that there were some other people who arrived.
0: That uh, night, uh, three regiments of the North Vietnamese Army arrived and. uh, quickly overran uh, the city because there were no combat military units in way. There was the Arvin 1st Division headquarters, the South Vietnamese 1st Division, on the north side of the river in uh, the uh, citadel, the old imperial palace, but there were no combat units associated uh, with it. They were all out in the countryside. And on the south side was uh, the MACV headquarters, Military Assistance Command Vietnam. That was uh, housing about uh, 250 or so American advisors to the Arvin 1st Division and various Mm -hmm. other uh, South Vietnamese military units. But there, again, no combat uh, forces uh, at all. So uh, the North Vietnamese had a pretty easy time of uh, occupying uh, the city. Uh, There was uh, some fireworks, but uh, along about... uh, 3 a.m., the rockets and mortars started coming in. Uh, but there was no uh, pro- prolonged, protracted combat right at first because there was very little opposition. Now, I uh, had a French friend whose uh, company ran the power plants in both Quangtree and Hue, and I'd uh, done some favors for him, put him on flights when the road was blocked and so forth to go back and forth. He invited me to stay uh, when I visited Hue in a little guest cottage they had at the power plant in Hui. And that's where I was. After dinner that evening with uh, Tweekom and the family, I went uh, back to the power plant, and uh, that's where I was spending the night until I was uh, woken up about 3 a.m. by the sounds of the incoming uh, rockets and mortars sure. and so forth. Uh A power plant is not a good place to be when an enemy army is occupying the city, and uh, sure enough, uh, the uh, North Vietnamese uh, stationed uh, what appeared to be maybe a company headquarters or something like that in in the uh, power plant. I didn't know that at the time, though. In fact, uh, when I woke up, uh, things were pretty quiet, and uh, I didn't. Perceive myself to be in any particular danger because there had never been any uh, attacks on cities designed to capture and occupy the city. They, they they had been attacks before, but always in the form of raids where Wait, the enemy sort of forces would be uh, gone by dawn uh, to to escape uh, the the retaliation by the uh, uh, regular. Of South Vietnamese and American forces—that was sure to to follow—but this was different. This time, they had come to stay. But I didn't know that, so it—I uh, thought everything was uh, mm-hmm. was calm and uh, safe, and uh, I got dressed and uh, walked out of the uh, little cottage and went to the power plant, looking for my friend to see what was going on. I got into the power plant and found him there, and uh, he pointed uh, out to the courtyard I would just crossed. Uh, and he said, didn't you see him? Didn't you see him? Uh, and I looked, and I saw him. There were these uh, guys with pith helmets and green uniforms and AK-47s, and they certainly weren't South Vietnamese troops. And at that point, I realized that uh, things were not uh, going as uh as I had thought, and uh, Albert, uh, my French friend, said, uh, "Look, uh, we've uh, we've got to get you uh, out of here because it would not be good for uh, you or me either if uh, they find you here." Uh, so he sent me back to the room. We, I crossed the courtyard again. Uh, the North Vietnamese, I'm sure thought I was a Frenchman working Mm -hmm. at the power plant, uh, but they didn't stop me or bother me, so I went back in the room and spent a very, very long day. Uh, Albert said uh, he would uh, try to get me out, and uh, we had arranged for a signal uh, that evening. Uh, He knocked on the door, a certain knock, and went back across the the courtyard and... uh, I was to look out and uh, see when he gave me the signal to cross. He gave me the signal that evening. I crossed the courtyard, again unmolested by the North Vietnamese who must have thought I was a Frenchman working at the plant, and uh, took me in the power plant uh, over some uh, backyard fences down the street to several houses to the home of a French priest, Father Cressonnier, uh, who Albert had arranged to uh, take me in and provide me shelter. He had been in uh, Vietnam for 30 odd years and uh, really knew his way around, Father Cressonnier. Uh, and he gave me a, a black gown, the soutane, and the, the beads and the whole outfit. So for the next nine days, I was a French priest. and. Uh, the city of Hue <laughs> behind the North Vietnamese lines. So uh,
1: at this point you had, you had been in the city, obviously I, I, people knew sort of where you were. How long did it take for people to figure out really what was happening in Hue city and what the situation was?
0: Well, people, the only people who knew where I was was, uh, Cam and her family okay. and, and, uh, I had told my boss right. in Quang Tri I was going to, to Hui and so they knew I was in Hue, but uh, they didn't know any details, any details. about uh, where I was, power plant, or anything like that. Right. But uh, the American uh, higher command in Fubai, which is the the base about uh, six or seven miles south of Hui, which was an important American base, and the only possible source of... Uh, of uh, combat forces uh, on the south mm-hmm. side of the city to come back in and uh, uh start retaking it but uh the fog of war uh, was uh, very dense because uh, the Americans like me and everybody else uh, the American military command did not expect uh, an occupation uh, they thought the uh, the noise, the attack and so forth was in the nature of a raid as all the other sure. uh, attacks had been uh, on cities prior to that. So, uh, they were unaware of, uh, of uh, what was going on in Hue And the fact that they were dealing with three regiments of mm-hmm. the North Vietnamese army and some associated Viet Cong units as well. Uh, well, uh, around 10,000 uh, troops. Uh, and, uh, So at Fubai, to uh, relieve the besieged MACV compound on the south side of the river where there were about 250 American uh, advisors, they had uh, managed to hold off a a battalion-sized NVA attack and, uh, of course, were desperate for help. And the Arvin 1st Division headquarters on the north side of the River had also held off a very heavy attack, but they were under terrible uh, conditions and uh, desperately needed help. The only help the Americans could send was from Phu Bai. They sent uh, one company of Marines right. up the road uh, to, to come to the relief of what they thought would, uh, were, would be the uh, MacBee compound and the, the South Vietnamese First Division. Well, one company of Marines are not going to do much. As good as, good as the Marines <laughs> as are. As good as they are. <laughs> yeah. So, and the uh, Americans
1: have, of course, at the Tet Offensive is coordinated across the country. There's all sorts of things going on. Um, so the American military is pretty occupied. At the same time, like you said, the the occupation of Hue City is, is really quite big and important. Uh, but it takes a while to figure out just what... What's happening? Yeah,
0: it took nearly a week to, for the American right. high command to really realize what was going on. They were also focused on Keshan, which was uh, right. going on at that time, big battle to the northwest of Wei. Uh, but uh, of course, I didn't know any of right. this. Right, and you're still at this point a French priest, right? And as I said, for the nine days until. Uh, the Marines got to where I was uh, at the priest house. I was uh, a French priest living with them in mm-hmm. their house, and for an East Tennessee hillbilly raised in the <laughs> Church of Christ, that in itself was a major adventure, don't you know? But uh, we uh, were in the the house, listening to the sounds of war all around us as the 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 fighting grew more intense. But uh, it. It was a a major, major battle of uh, the the largest uh, battle of the war in terms of the number of casualties, right. and uh, politically, it was the most important battle of the war too, because it had uh, a great impact on the American perception of what was going on back home, and it wasn't was not a positive perception sure. that was conveyed by the American press, but uh, From the priest house, we could see that that huge uh, Viet Cong flag uh, over across the river above the Imperial Palace, the former capital uh, of uh, of uh, South Vietnam, of uh, all Vietnam. Uh, And we knew that uh, the city was still occupied Mm -hmm. uh, fully. We couldn't get any news at all. That would be a good
1: a good sign that um, the city was that yeah things were still unstable and occupied if that flag is up. During the time, did you have any way to communicate with TweCom and her family? Did no, you... we
0: could not communicate. Uh, it was uh, physically not uh, far away, maybe uh, 500, 600 yards. Uh, but it was across a major barrier, a canal called mm-hmm. the Fukom Canal. Uh, and uh, the priest house where I was was on the other side of that. And that was a barrier that the Marines couldn't cross for a while. Uh, But they gradually worked their way from the uh, MACV compound uh, after getting more uh, Marines. Eventually there were uh, two undersized Marine battalions that took on the fighting in the south side and uh, were successful in very heavy street-to-street, house-to-house combat in uh, moving— uh, expanding the defensive perimeter and moving uh, to occupy the south side of the city and got to where I was with the priest uh, about uh, the ninth day. I heard uh, some English for the first time in uh, several days, uh, the Marines talking to one another. Uh, we were pretty safe in the house, the, uh, the French... Uh, uh priests were not uh, targeted mm-hmm. initially. But uh, there were uh, Viet Cong, uh, the local cadre going from house to house, uh, arresting uh, people, uh, anyone perceived as an enemy, certainly Americans, including sure. uh, two of my uh, Foreign Service colleagues who had had dinner with uh, Tweecom and me uh, for Tet. Uh, one was stationed in uh, Hue with, uh, he was the psywar War officer with USIA, and the other had uh, come to Hue as a tourist, essentially, mm-hmm. along with uh, Tui Kam. He, he worked at the consulate general in Da Nang. Steve Miller was the one who was assigned uh, to to Hue, and the, uh, Steve Hawkness was uh, the guy at the consulate who had come to visit. They were uh, both murdered, uh, uh, found uh, after the battle of uh, uh, Steve Miller with the, his uh, hands bound behind him and a hole in the back of the head. Steve Hawkness's body was not recovered until several months mm-hmm. later, but they were going from house to house killing uh, foreigners who were perceived right. as hostile and literally, uh, Thousands of Vietnamese, uh, South Vietnamese, who worked for the government or who were perceived as uh, enemies, it was by far the greatest uh, atrocity of the war. About uh, uh, three thousand South Vietnamese uh, were recovered who had been murdered. Mm -hmm. Not not uh, through uh, right. These aren't yeah. These aren't
1: troops, and they're not they're They're not not soldiers. They're not soldiers. Right. This is civilians in a in a city.
0: Who were captured and uh, shot, shot if they were lucky, some of them right. were buried alive, and uh, by far the greatest atrocity of the war, about three thousand were mm-hmm. bodies were recovered. But uh, they did not come and bother the the priest. Uh, uh, we were going we had a story made up that I was to be a visiting Canadian, and uh, but they never actually came into the house. It did mm-hmm. get hit, however, by a mortar and uh, blew off the second story it was thankfully a two story house and we were downstairs at the time sure. but it, uh, there were was a lot of uh, of uh, mortars and uh, other fire going on when the Marines got there uh, I climbed up into the demolished uh, second story where they could see me and made signals and let let it be known that I was an American mm-hmm. and they came on in and uh Uh, called up the the company commander, a Marine whose name will be certainly well-known to almost all Marines. Uh, Ron Christmas was the company commander, Captain Ron Christmas, and uh, he came and uh, we talked, and I told him all I knew about the situation on the ground. The the, the, uh, NVA who had been at the uh, power plant had left uh, Mm -hmm. the previous night,
1: Because you'd been sort of watching and observing, I imagine. Yes, um, and
0: Albert, uh, my French friend, uh, would come over and uh, talk to us and tell us what what was going on, and so he told us that they had left the power plant. So I was able to pass that on to uh, Captain Christmas and his men. They, They then carried me out on a an improvised stretcher, a door frame, and uh, as if I were a wounded Marine, wrapped me in a blanket and so forth because we didn't want the neighbors to know that the priest had been uh, sheltering an American. Took me to the MACB compound, and uh, uh, after a a day or so there, I was able to get a a medevac uh, helicopter to Da Nang, and I went back to Da Nang to report into my headquarters there, and... uh, and try to get uh, a change of clothes and uh, some food and a night's sleep and so forth. Meantime, Tweekom was on the other side of the canal from the Mm -hmm. the priest house and it took several more days for the Marines to get across that canal because they had blown up the bridges and so forth. And uh, she was in very grave danger as a, U.S. government employee right, working
1: for the U.S. government. Working sure. for
0: the U.S. government, and many, many were killed. But uh, she was able to. Uh, the neighbors didn't didn't uh, turn her in, and uh, she was able to stay with the family. They uh, eventually had to leave uh, the house because of the mortars coming mm-hmm. in and so forth, trying to get to a safer place. They went to.
1: So she and her whole family were able to able yes. to leave. Yes, and go somewhere. Go, where did they go?
0: They first went to a, a refugee camp at a, a Buddhist pagoda that they knew. They're Buddhist, and uh, they knew the, the the monks there. The chief monk uh, hid Tui under the big giant Buddha statue that night because the the uh, Viet Cong cadre were there in amongst the refugees. Mm-hmm. And he hid her out under that Buddha statue. But uh, her two brothers, who had been home on uh, leave, were South Vietnamese military officers. They were both uh, captured, taken away, and we never found out for sure what happened to them. But of course, uh, they were shot. Right.
1: One makes assumptions about yes. what happens. Yes. Yes. Uh, they. Uh,
0: they ne. They were never found again. Uh they went on from that refugee camp after they lost the the two brothers uh, to a, a safer one which was at uh Hui University very near the Macbee compound and uh they took uh, refuge there along with uh, several thousand other Great. refugees uh Tuikon managed to maintain uh, established contact with the uh the cords uh American mm-hmm. leaders uh, there and uh, was trying to get uh, a helicopter flight to Da Nang.
1: Because that's where, she, and she works in Da Nang, right? So she she's, trying Nang. she's trying to, to get back to the back. Concert. And
0: uh, they told her that I had gone to Da Nang uh, when she got to the McBee headquarters mm-hmm. and made, made contact with them. Well, meanwhile, I didn't know in Da Nang what was going on and I knew I had to get back to, to look for Khan. I, I told my bosses at Cords uh, in Da Nang that I needed to go look for Tweekom, and they said, oh, no, absolutely not. Right. The, the combat is still going on. Uh, yeah. no way you can go to Da Nang. I said, uh, well, thank you, and uh, I went right out to the air base uh, and uh, found a friendly Army helicopter pilot I knew my. I'd been in Vietnam for, for mm-hmm. three years at that point, so I knew my way around and uh, hitched a ride right back to Hue, uh with a helicopter, his helicopter. So Tui had come that morning to the uh, helicopter pad looking for a ride to Da Nang. The first helicopter that landed, uh, I got off of it. And that was our reunion. A reunion,
1: unexpected.
0: Unexpected, uh, right there at the helicopter pad. Uh, appropriately enough, that was on February 14, Valentine's okay. Day. So that was our reunion. And uh, we stayed on uh, for a few days in, in a to try to help the family. Uh, I managed to scrounge some uh, MREs and uh, mm-hmm. food and, and other things for them. Uh, then we went on... Uh, She back to to Da Nang and me back to Quang Tri to sort of finish up and get ready to leave. Uh, Our wedding was at the uh, Consulate General in Da Nang on March 16, Still on schedule. Still on schedule. Uh, We had intended to have a big uh, uh, formal South Vietnamese uh, or Vietnamese-style wedding uh, with all the appropriate right. dress and regalia and so forth in, in Huey. but of course Huey was still in uh, in combat at that time sure so we had to do a civil ceremony at the so Constant plans Gentleman plans changed tonight.
1: but the the schedule stayed
0: but we managed to get married and uh, left uh, shortly thereafter and came on back to the United States very good
1: and can you tell me um, a little bit more about once you once you return to the United States? Um, can you finish up the story about Tweekom's family?
0: Yeah, they uh, uh, stayed on, of course, uh, hoping to find the two brothers. Right. They never did. Uh, they stayed on in Way and uh, uh, through 1975. Uh, a couple of her sisters came out on boats uh, after the fall of South Vietnam in 1975 with the boat people sure. the following year. Eventually, we were able to get her mother and uh, a couple of other sisters out with what was called the Orderly Departure Program, mm-hmm. which was worked out uh, 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 in the early 80s, I guess, to uh, permit where uh, the South Vietnam. Uh, the Vietnamese Communist government uh, agreed to let uh, South Vietnamese who wanted to leave, right, uh, and we uh, took them in. So, most of <clears throat> most of her family resettled in South Can- Southern California, okay. in Orange County, in very little, good near Little Saigon out there. Yeah.
1: It's easy to sometimes forget that the the war for for Vietnamese last four much longer than the, the Americans who were there, and, and that Vietnamese who have connections to Americans, uh, often, uh, again, the, the number of, of people who were resettled, uh, who made their home in the United States, it's it's pretty enormous uh, by the oh, yeah. by the end of the 1980s in Once particular. a million or so. Right? You know, Absolutely. All um, who
0: could uh, got out, I think.
1: Sure, so. sure. Um, when you think back about your experiences in Vietnam and in, in Hue City in particular, what What stands out as maybe the most important thing uh, that you'd like for our listeners to to leave with or to understand?
0: Well, the the role of the uh, South Vietnamese, our allies, is uh, very often neglected in uh, histories and uh, academic accounts uh, and even Ken Burns' accounts of uh, the war. Uh, Our focus here as understandably on the american combat units and so forth but uh by far the biggest share of the casualties and the biggest right. share of the fighting and the most prolonged uh suffering uh, during the war was borne by the south vietnamese right. our allies uh, whom in my judgment we abandoned uh disgracefully in uh, 1975 it's very
1: easy for Americans to want Americans to be the center of yes. of the story and in fact the center of, of the the story here uh, is is a Vietnamese center um, and so I think that's a really important important reminder are there other um, in sort of in retrospect are there other things that, that you've reflected upon or learned uh, over
0: the years it was an interesting way to start a marriage I guess uh, <laughs> but uh you know i think having shared that experience not not just uh, uh tet 68 but uh, the whole war experience mm-hmm. uh that uh, that served as a good foundation for for the marriage that uh, and uh, it has lasted all these uh, 50 years so it must have been pretty solid very good
1: Excellent. Well, I would like to thank you so much for joining us. And before we, uh, before we sign off, we will let our readers know that if you want to hear more about Jim's story, uh, with TWICOM, you can read more about it in Mark Bowden's book, Hue 1968. And I believe you have a memoir yes, as uh, well.
0: Yes, I cover it in, uh, about a third of the memoir it is about uh, my Vietnam experience. It's called, uh, Uh, Global Adventures on Less Traveled Roads, it's available on Amazon.
1: Excellent. So thank you. Again, thank you so much uh, for your time. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, A different sort of perspective, uh, both from a foreign service officer and, again, the the story of of love and war at the same time. Um, Thanks for your time this morning.
0: Okay, thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear even more great content, subscribe to A Better Piece, the War Room Podcast, at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.com. armywarcollege.edu and have a great day.